Welcome to Hot Springs Village Inside Out, a weekly podcast where Hot Springs Village, Arkansas is the star. Join me, Randy Cantrell, and my co-host Dennis Simpson as we discuss the history, facts, people, places, events, lots more surrounding Hot Springs Village, Arkansas. Visit the website at hotspringsvillageinsideout.com. And we welcome you back. Another episode of Hot Springs Village Inside Out. And we have a returning guest that we're really uh, pleased to have on. Dennis, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, as everybody knows, it's Mr. John Paul, a frequent reoffender here. We love having him on the show. It's a delight to have John Paul on. And, you know, we thought, we thought maybe just for a moment that we wouldn't have him for a few weeks, but nope. We're going to have him a little while longer, which is just He's fine. By back. Now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you think we, you think we might be rid of you by say, I don't know, second quarter of the year, first quarter and a half, something like that. First quarter, more than likely. Okay. Okay. Well, and I, we, we were talking just a little bit before we hit record, but you know, I get it. I mean, it, it's a big decision. They want to make sure they got it right. I understand. Let's recap for those of you who don't know. The board did make an offer to one of the candidates. They saw there was nine legitimate candidates. They made an offer to one of them, and unfortunately, one of the candidates couldn't take it. So, Mr. John Paul gets an extended term a little while longer, right? A little while longer. Well, when did you start at the golf? Uh, as, uh, did you start in the golf department, or when did you? What, what how did it all happen there? Um, I, w- I was with uh, the, the Hale Irwin Company in, in St. Louis, and uh, they had merged with a, a, a public company and um, the, it, the, the, the management kind of fell apart at that time. And I told my wife, I said, let's move where we want to live and uh, I'll find something to do. Uh, I was, uh, how old was I at the time? I was 47. This is 1990. Well, 97 is when we moved here. And uh, I had it in the back of my mind that the village was going to need to do something about uh, management at the time in the golf courses because they were getting big and they were fixing to build another couple. And uh, so we moved here in 97 and they hired me as director of golf in uh, well, right this week of 1997. Wow. And so uh, we started then and Isabella had just broken ground uh, on building that golf course. And so I, uh, I got to build that golf course with Tom Clark, who was the architect. And uh, that plus Ron and the others was my first uh, venture into Hot Springs Village. I got to ask, and, and I don't know, Randy, have you walked Isabella? I mean, it's 27 holes and it's... I have not. Last time I built a golf course was never... So do you just start bulldozing trees and you have kind of a plat map is where it goes or what, what do you got? What do you do? How do you do that? Well, we, you know, we're a forest. So he, you couldn't see the terrain or any, except through a topo map. So he designed the courses, all of the courses off a topo map. And you really didn't know what you had until you got out there. And then they center cut the, the, the line and they take all the trees out for maybe a, 10 yard uh, wide segment. And then you'd start going out and looking at the terrain. <clears throat> and then they uh, made the width of the fairways and they cut the trees and uh, 
and, and started from there. But a lot of the views we have are, are lucky because they really didn't know, like number uh, 10 at Granada, when you come up there, it, well, they didn't know that that view was going to exist or in the back of the driving range. But uh, uh, it turned out it turned out good with the elevations that we've got. And, uh, and uh, the architect just did a wonderful job because not only did he build the golf courses, but he's building the lots at the same time. He's actually designing the lots at the same time he's designing the golf courses because it all fits in together. Cooper wasn't going to do it unless they could sell property. So that was their main focus was the lots were going to be valuable. And, and they had to tie those in with the golf courses they built it. So Cooper didn't plat out the lots? They platted out the lots, but the, the, the architect really designed everything. And if you look, they're all in figure eights. Right, sure. Uh, and so that's how uh, the lots came to be. And, and they wanted the best land for the lots and the worst land for the golf course. And, and they, they built it like that. So amazing. And then went on to Granada from that. And anyway, I, I don't want to, you've got so well, much the, to talk the, about. Uh, the first, the first thing at Isabella was 18 holes. Right. It was only 18. And then we built Granada after that. And then we redid uh, nine holes at DeSoto. And then we did the whole Cortez golf course uh, renovation. And then they built the nine hole extension to Isabella and then went back and redid the rest of DeSoto. So I was in on all that while I was here in the 60s. How long does it take to build a golf course from scratch? Well, we started Isabella uh, Thanksgiving of 97 and opened at Labor Day of 2000. Uh, so it, uh, two and a half years. I had two and a half years. Yeah. And I remember when we opened uh, Isabella on Labor Day of 2000, it was 106 degrees. <laughs> 106. <laughs> now, is there, is there any particular reason you remember that temperature just off the cuff? Or <laughs> we it had, was to just play it. As... had to play in it, and that's always been my limit. I learned that in Dallas, 106 is where I couldn't go any farther. <laughs> so you do have a limit is what I'm hearing, right? I do, I do have a limit. Well, I, I got to ask somebody, I just want to ask somebody this. I'm sorry, Randy. I don't go think ahead. I'd leave the house with 106. <laughs> have, have ice wrapped around your neck or something. So when they built Isabella and came back and built the last nine, was did they map out Isabella to be a, mass, a 27 to, from the beginning? Or was that just just, Hey, we got some land let's over. Let's make another nine. Well, interesting. That's that, that's a whole together different subject here. Uh, Isabella was going to be 18 holes. And then, uh, Granada was Diamante's second 18. Uh, there was, it was not even supposed to be a POA golf course. It was going to be a, a second private course, part of Diamante. And, um, uh, Diamante Club Corp decided they didn't want to do the second golf course, so they just built Granada as part of the POA golf courses. And after that, they were going to build two more. And the board threw a fit. They didn't really even want Granada. They said, we've got enough golf courses. We don't need any more. And uh, Cooper was, you know, selling lots. They wanted to build the golf courses. And so they built Granada, and then they were going to build at least one more. And the POA 
said, please don't build another golf course. We can't afford another golf course. The rounds had been going down because we kind of cannibalized everything with as many golf courses as we had. So they compromised and they said, all right, we'll put a nine hole extension on Isabella and do three lakes. And that's how uh, uh, Maria, Estrella and Sophia came into being uh, the three lakes out there instead of another golf course. So that, it, it was not going to be a 27 hole golf course when it first started, but it wound up being it. Unbelievable. And interestingly enough, number nine on Santa Maria is, is a tough hole. <laughs> and the, the uh, uh, bunkers on the fairway really make it a tough hole. And I remember Tom Clark saying that's the last hole he's ever going to build in hot springs village. And it was going to be a tough sucker. I remember him <laughs> but it's still a par four, is it? Still a par four. Yeah. Still a par four. You still only get four shots to put it in the hole. Well, I tell you what, on more current events, John Paul, we've obviously had a rate increase or we're about to have a rate increase come January one. Right. And I'm dying to know what are we, what are we going to do with all those fabulous riches? We're going to have January's two, right? No, no. Well, it goes up $20 a month on January the 1st and then $10 each of the next two years. That's in lieu of a cost of living adjustment. They're not going to oh. do a cost of living adjustment on top of that. So it's not in addition to, no, it well, is and, not. And, and, and that's for lots and homes. Yeah, they've said twenty dollars years. Yeah, that for three years they would not go up on cost of living in addition to that increase. It is just that increase. Yeah, and the board votes on that every year, so it's something they just don't bring up and don't vote on. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they they have told the public and everybody that that they're, they're not going to go up the next three years, other than what was voted on. Well, and, and I understand, I mean, from the time that we began talking about this rate increase or the FRAT and, and reviewing everything, a lot of things changed. I mean, a lot of things changed. And one of the things that went through my mind was, is that, you know, we, we, we interviewed Greg Jones about the, uh, the difficulty in hiring people and how the wages are rising. Well, I'm, that's affecting y'all too, isn't it? Oh, more than you know. I was talking to the compliance department uh, this week, and they've had a hundred percent turnover in the last month at the gates. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. We're getting new people all the time. It it is very very hard to hire people in the eleven to fifteen dollar range, and uh, they're just uh, going around trading jobs out because uh, you've got Oaklawn that's hiring, you've got Amazon that's moved in here and uh, major, major hire. Uh, and it, we're hard. It's hard to compete. It's really hard to compete and keep your prices where they are. And it's, it's tough. It's a tough road right now. Sure. Paying more wages, paying more for products and then trying to keep your prices flat uh, recipe for a headache. It is. This is a very tough time. And then retirees, especially, they moved here. They want it like it was, and they want it. They don't understand why it can't be the same as it was. And it just isn't. I mean, I know Greg is having real trouble at the, at the golf courses, hiring, hiring waiters or waitresses. He's having to close one day a week, which he doesn't want to do, but I understand it. And the same way at the gates. Now we've been able to manage with the gates and keep our security intact and, and do it, but but it is a struggle. And uh, people just need to realize out there how big a struggle it is and 
and give everybody a break right now. Yeah. Well, and we, and we talked about this, we alluded to this a little earlier, you know, we talked about roads and paving and that's where a lot of this was designated to go, but, and I, I joke obviously, but the day one, day one, you're not going to have all that money. It's going to take years and years for it to accumulate, to do the big paving jobs that you need to do. Right. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, it's not like we get all that money day one. Uh, it, it is going to come in over, over three years. And we can't get to all the projects that we have in the first year anyway. And so the, the board has said that the assessment increase, the difference for the money is going to go to infrastructure repair. And there'll be a, a chart on the website that shows where, how much money we've taken in, where it's going. And, and uh, there'll be charts, uh, like on roads, overlays and crack ceiling and uh, that sort of thing. They'll keep track of what roads need it, uh, when they'll get there, when, you know, a target date that they'll get there. The same way with culverts, how many culverts we need. Now, one of the areas uh, we we need to do quite a few culverts. Well, we, we've got to hire people to do another crew. We've got to have two crews working at the same time so we can get it all done. So some of that money is going to go to, to salaries and, and wages. But uh, the, the vast majority of everything we're going to do as far as capital improvements go is going to be uh, old infrastructure repair. Well, Randy, I want you to pitch in here because is there any other municipality you know of that does things like this or that has to do things like this? I mean, it's, are we a one-off bird in your world? Yeah. I mean, it's very much a one-off bird and John Paul, we've, we've had conversations on this show before because, you know, in the day job, I largely serve people who are in public administration. So city managers and, and, and their staff, people like you that are not elected but are hired by the elected people to take care of the day-to-day stuff, you know, but when you've got taxing authority, like a municipality does, and you've got access to state, county, and federal funds, it's, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole different, completely different animal. And I don't suppose that anybody that moves to the village has had that experience before. I don't, I don't know where they would, you know, we, we've grown up and we've lived in municipalities. And so from my vantage point as, as an outsider, who's hankering to be an insider as soon as I can, you know, quite a lot of it seems to me just failing to understand how the whole thing even works. Am I off base? No, no, you're, you're right on base. And, and the whole thing, uh, you know, we're gating a city. Uh, there is no other city that's gated in the country. And, you know, 15 miles by nine miles wide and with, with five, six gates that we've got, um, it's, it's a chore to do that. And then you throw in streets and culverts and water and police and fire. You've got an entire city with no tax base and you're just at the mercy of, uh, going out and getting an assessment increase when you need it. Cooper will tell you, I think, that the one thing that they know they did wrong in the beginning was to not put a cost of living increase 
on, on automatic cost of living increase every year where we didn't have to vote on it. At their other communities, Savannah Lakes, Teleco Village, and on down the road, they did that after they got there. Uh, and and they were able to keep up. And if you look at their rates now, they're they're above us in, in their rates at those villages. We're just now catching up to where we ought to be on a cost of living increase from 1970. So uh, we're going to have some money to get things done that we need to. Like you said, it's not all going to come in at once. But over the next three years, we plan on making a big dent in the infrastructure whether it be roads, culverts, sewer, water, that sort of thing. Well, you know, there's a lot of, and, and I've shown Randy when he comes and visits, I'll show him some beautiful places that nobody lives. I mean, nobody lives. And in some of those areas, the culverts have failed. Some of those areas we have literally have, we have warning signs that say, you know, don't drive on this simply because, you know, Cooper built this 50 years ago and things wear out, right? Well, and, and they're wearing out all at once right now, especially at the West End uh, of the village that is the, the oldest and the 50 years old. And that's, that's where we need to tackle. Now, one thing they're doing, they're bringing in a laser uh, machine that, that uh, goes around the roads and maps the roads down in the ground and shows us where it's failing and it grades the roads for us. And that combined with the work the public the public works committee has already done combined will show us a game plan on where we need to go first and and we'll chart those roads and in the first quarter next year you'll be able to go on the website and see what roads and need to be done in the order and when we'll get to them and how that's going to be done so the villagers will be able to see when their road out in front of their house is going to get fixed if, if it needs to be wow. where it, where it lands in the formula. Well, I've been in, in, uh, and I'm sure you have too, but I've been in Jason's office and he'll put up the big GIS map and just show you every culvert from, from 12 inches around to six feet around right. and every culvert in the village is graded. It's all, it has a grade. It has a number. It has a, most times it has a photo. I'm like, that was a lot of work. That was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And the trick is to get those, get to those before they fail, because it'll yeah. cost us three times as much to cut the road and put a new one in as it will to go in and concrete the old one as it is there. And that's the goal is to get to them before they fail so that we can save a lot of money. To concrete them in. What do you, what do you mean? Well, they'll go in and they grout, they grout the, the, uh, uh, pipe from the inside so that they can fix it basically without having to replace it. Right. Without having to dig it up, pull it out, block right. off the road. We you know we had a major failure down here on uh, DeSoto and Barcelona. Two of them. What, two months. Yeah. And I mean, that was a big, big, big culvert. I'd never seen one that big in my life. And Jason was pleased that they got it done before time. You know, it was ahead of schedule, but still, I mean, that's in the middle of DeSoto. You know, that, that impeded everybody that came in the West gate. Yeah. For two weeks. And, and there were two of those on DeSoto that happened about uh, a month and a half apart. And then they just got through with Leventino. Leventino was closed for about three weeks while they replaced five culverts up there. And those are the ones we want to get to before they fail rather than after. And hopefully now that we can hire another crew and get to it, we'll get to a lot of them before that happens. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. Randy, did you have any other things that came up to you or? Well, I've got some, I've got some personal questions, not too personal, John Paul, but so 24 years, roughly you've been in the village. I don't know from then to now observations. I mean, we're talking the end, the internet was in its infancy when you arrived there to give people some perspective, you know, I mean, I don't, well, it, the internet was beginning to be somewhat mainstream in 97, but we had those modems and we had the dial up tone and it was, it's nothing like it is today. And I realized that there's, well, anybody, anybody that's over 24 years old has no idea, you know, of a, of a 1997 world, the village in 1997, your perspective coming to the village from then to now, I don't know. I'm interested. Well, in 97, you're really only five or six years past cell phones getting started because yep. cell phones really started in the early 90s uh, for any intents and purposes. There were, there were before that, but most people didn't have them. And, and then when I got here in 97, you're right. The internet was, was not even uh, a thing. Now we had, we had a lottery system uh, and we had to change uh, the lottery system on the tea times. But uh, interestingly enough, in 1997, I think all the way through 99, we didn't take credit cards. You didn't take credit cards at any, any place in the village for any reason, no golf courses, anything. You either wrote a check or, or paid cash. And uh, the, then we had, uh, you made the tea times mostly by telephone back then. And then we uh, put in the lottery and got into the internet. Uh, interestingly enough, the IT department back then, uh, we, there was no broadband of any kind. We had to build towers to shoot uh, beams from one course to another so that we could integrate everything all together to where you could make tea times at one course for another course without calling them. All that came to be while I was here too at that time. And that was, that was a very interesting time. Well, the dynamics, I'll, I'll... The, the dynamics of the community, let me just to follow the dynamics of the community from 97 to now, what, what are, what have been some of the changes that you've really seen? Well, let's go back to 95 and 95 when Diamante was built, the, the, uh, the village stopped at Ponce road. It, it did not go past Ponce on DeSoto. And then when Diamante was built, uh, it, it went a little bit farther and then they took it all the way to highway five, but it took until, 2004 to develop the rest of it uh, out to Granada and uh, Diamante and Isabella's extension and Isabella. And um, so most of the activity then in golf was at the East end. And uh, you just had DeSoto and Cortez at the other end. And most of the uh, play that we got back then came in, stayed on the East End and played the East End. They, they, they didn't go to uh, all the way through because now you had six golf courses at that end of the village. And that's, that's where most of the play game. That's one of the reasons that we redid Cortez and DeSoto when we needed to do them because that brought people back that way and, and brought life back to, the, to those courses once again. And now they're on a par with any of them. Uh, Cortez, I know we went uh, we went up on the rates of Cortez to equal Granada and Isabella because of the 
the demand for play at Cortez, it is on an equal basis with those. And so is DeSoto now. DeSoto is a wonderful golf course. They're absolutely beautiful. They really are. And they're great play as you talk. I was going to just throw one thing in real quick, Randy. And, and we talked about this one of the times you were here recently, Randy. Uh, right out in front of between uh, the Balboa hole number one and hole number two, you cross the road and there's a wide spot in the road. And over on the side, there used to be a couple of poles that stood up. You're grinning, JP. Yeah. And, and Randy, doesn't, I was trying to explain what Randy, and, you know, because, you know, we talk about how the village is, you, it's easy to get lost, easy to get lost. Well, but in 97 and 95 and even 2000, GPS was not common. Cell phone coverage was iffy with your little flip phone, if you were good enough to have a flip phone. And so the men's garden club, wasn't that who it was that put up the maps all over the village in strategic places. If you were on a main road, you could find yourself and there would be a map pinned to this little building. They built little structure. And uh, that's how you found your way around at the time. But that wasn't the reason for the wide spot in the road. No the wide spot in the road was because those were the mailboxes. The mailboxes were there. They didn't deliver mail to the homes. They had a wide spot on DeSoto and they had a wide spot there and a couple other places. And that's where you rent and got went, went and got your mail. So everybody just picked up their mail, you know, once a week, like you do. Probably. <laughs> or every day, whenever, but uh, they, you'd go to your mailbox and pick them up. Now that was before I was here, but those, so those were, were reasons com- for the wide spot in the road. So those were community mailboxes of sort. Right. So really? Okay. Well, that was before me too, apparently. Cause well, and I'll tell you the story again in 1996, we rented out the DeSoto club and I had a presentation on web investing that I did with Noel Sinclair. And I was the it guy and he was the investor or the broker. And we actually ran one wire through the back wall, back down the far corner to one other plug-in that we prayed would be what we call a POTS line, a plain old telephone system. And we plugged it in. We dialed Aristotle in Little Rock because it was only 50 cents an hour at that time. And because the long distance would eat you up. Remember long distance? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but you're talking about the changes in technology, Randy. I I remember when, and and you'll recall this too, JP, back around 2000, 2003, I kept thinking, why don't they email people? What's the problem? And it went from a whole group of people that were saying, "I, I don't have email. I don't want that. Can you fax it to me? Literally, can you fax it to me? To within two more years, there were people that were really mad because we weren't sending out bulk emails that that explained what was going on. So the POAs kind of had to be in this one foot in both worlds. Is that fair enough? Sure, it is. Uh, and you know, when DeSoto started back in the seventies, you went down and put your ball in the in line uh, in a in a rack, and and when your ball came up, that's when you had your tea time. That's how that's how it started back then. Very analog. (laughs) Very analog. And from what I understand, and you had to be there to put your ball in, you couldn't call your ball in, right? Now you could get a friend to put it in for you, but (laughs) you better know when you were going to be there. Well, but and as I understand it, back in the 70s when it started, and it was more of a country club, social club type thing at that time, it was suit and tie, as I understand, right? Oh, the, you didn't go in the, uh, the DeSoto Club without a coat and tie, especially on Friday and Saturday night. And I remember when they started going casual, there was an uproar like crazy. This is the, and it, everything has its cycle. And that was one of them. But casual did not go over well here for a lot of years. It's the end of the world as we 
know it. It was, yeah. That was <laughs> really, if, if social media had been alive back then, they'd have been crucified. <laughs> They've been tearing them up, huh? Tearing them up. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, tell me what's what uh, what you see coming up in the next few months and and uh, besides your what second retirement, third retirement possibly? I've lost count. But, uh, <laughs> I'll go back one of these days and reflect, but uh, I guess one of the couple of the biggest things coming up here is the the sanitation change the, with the new trucks and and the uh, uh, new new trash cans new garbage uh, cans. And that's going to happen here pretty quick. Uh, I think they'll start rolling those out. We don't even, we don't have them yet, but uh, they'll come in in mid December and we'll start delivering them near the end of December, whether it be the large one or the, the small one, 94 gallons or 64, I think are the two sizes. And the people have already said which size they want, and they'll deliver them to the house. And then the trash trucks actually are coming a little bit ahead of schedule. We'll have those in December. <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. So we should roll that out in January. Now, the change will be that uh, there'll be one driver and no riders. So the, the arm will pick up the uh, trash can and put it in the, in the truck. And the, the routes are going to change a little bit. The days may even change of whenever uh, you pick up, but they've got a whole new route planned because uh, when they go down, the, the, the lifter is on one side of the truck. So they're just going to try to go down one road. And there may be some places that they are going to put them across the street rather than where they put them now. But that'll all come down and it'll be, lined out and everybody will know what they're doing before we start. There'll be a little learning curve involved, but hopefully not too much. Well, if we ever need misinformation, just look on social media and they'll tell you about how we're buying $6 million garbage trucks. And why would you spend $6 million on a garbage truck? And I'm like, I don't think you see the full implications here. I mean, this is. We want a, a couple of general, Scott Randall. I mean, that's about three general managers ago, maybe four. Mm -hmm. uh, general managers go wanted to do this back when he was here to save money and it will save money. But, you know, I talked about the gate personnel and the restaurant personnel. We really can't find uh, trash can uh, trash truck driver uh, loaders. And this is really going to help us with technology in the future. And the other thing technology is going to help us with is the gates. It's the same way there. We're going to have to go to more streamlined electronics as, as it's developed and we go to it. We got a fine line to walk with being secure and backing up people. And, and so we've got to, we've got a fine line there uh, to walk and do both of them. And they've done a pretty good job of that so far. And if you look at our, our crime statistics, they're still extremely low compared to the rest of the world. And, and we look at that all the time. But technology is going to be our savior in the future, not only there, but in a lot of places. Yeah, I, I can see. So so there's going to be another gate system in the next year or two years? Eh. Well, I think we're going to have to. We're going to have to go to RFID readers and, and electronic arms and, and that sort of thing. Now, if it'll come in a year, I, I would love that. And if I was going to be here, that would be my main focus going into 2023 is to have a RFID reader on your on your headlight or on the car where you just go in and it'll pop up and down 
and uh, do away with people, do away with people that are going to have to be there because we're not, we're not going to be able to find them if it continues yeah. like this. Yeah. So I think technology is, is our lifeblood in the future for this. Well, I was, I was joking with Randy. We went to Chuck E. Cheese with my granddaughter last Saturday, I guess. And they had a sign out front that said they were hiring for Chuck E. Cheese. If you like loud noise and screaming, cry, crying babies, this is the place for you. And I remember telling Randy, I said, they would have to pry my hands off the garbage truck before I would come work at the, <laughs> the Chuck E. Cheese. Well, I mean, you look at McDonald's. I mean, their technology is already, they, they don't have people inside anymore. You go and you, you punch what you want and, and, and they bring it to you. But everybody's in the same boat and uh, technology is going to be the savior. Yeah. Well, and people are expensive. I mean, people are expensive and they, you know, if you were blown and then they want insurance and then they got to pay the taxes. And so d- does that mean that the, like the places like the East gate would be open 24, but you would just be digitally open. Well, very positive. Just like Balboa is now. Uh, yeah. We, what we need to do is strengthen the entry uh, arms to where uh, that we stop all tailgating. And mm-hmm. there are laser, there are laser uh, machines out there that'll drop it right where it's supposed to and, and, and do away with that. But that's, that's the future, and that's the way we're going to go. Wow, wow. Speaking oh, of wow. gates, I'm curious. The, the, so the member gates, how, how were those organized or constructed? What was the rhyme and reason of those? The various entry and exit points, not the main no. ones, but do you know? It, well, this place was built over 50 years, and so they built it as they went. There was no master plan involved. And uh, the only gates that were were manned in the beginning were the main gate the, at the West End and Balboa. Those were the two because there wasn't an East Gate uh, back then. Those were the two. And then we closed the Balboa Gate when the East Gate uh, was open about a year and boy, the roof came down when, when that happened. Uh, you couldn't you couldn't imagine that that was going to happen. We also had two uh, two time a week trash pickup, and that went to one day a week from two, and that that was the end of the world, too. <clears throat> so there have been a lot of changes that have been made over the years, and we'd love to do two day a week pickup, but it's just not in the cards monetarily to to do that. Mm. Well, things like things like water and sewer, are we pretty good there? I mean, I know we've got infrastructure issues under the ground, but as far as the plants, are we in pretty good shape? Oh, yeah. Uh, the the water treatment plant gets the highest ratings of any in, in, in the state almost all the time. <clears throat> People worry about water. Um, Lake Lago is our water supply, and it was designed and engineered for a 60,000 person build a 60,000 build out. And I don't think we'll ever get to that number here. So we've got plenty of water. Lake Lago is 120 feet deep and they recharge it when they need to during the winter time, whenever uh, the, the flow is high. So as far as water goes and, and our treatment plant, yeah, we have to keep up with uh, uh, improvements as we go along, but no, they're, they're in good shape. Yeah, uh, we actually, I did a, a, a village venues. Oh, gee, it's been two years ago or two and a half with, uh, uh, Jason. And he was showing me the Lake Lago plant in the tour and it was beyond impressive. It was beyond impressive, but he made note that, you know, we had a huge storm and a huge flood 
together. One of them knocked out the pumps. One of them, you know, damaged part of the bridge and whatever for the pickup station. And so for roughly 18 months, we ran off Lake Lago and whatever fell into Lake Lago. And it, it was only down 30 feet or something. I mean, it, it, we've got plenty of water. That's the understatement of the story. Yeah. And 30 feet really is nothing on that lake because it's 120 feet deep. I mean, we can last a long time, a long time in a drought. Yeah. Yeah. Are there power yeah. concerns going into the winter? Well, <clears throat> no, uh, the power concerns, when I first moved here in 97, we had a lot of outages. Uh, there were, there were a lot. I mean, if you'd go probably one a week, uh, back then, not for long, but, but they are now most of the infrastructure at the East end is underground where at the West end it's above ground. So there's a little more power outages, uh, on the West end than the East end, but they've done a good job. Energy's done a good job in the last, uh, 10 years, especially replacing lines around Cortez area where it really was bad for a while. And they don't have near the problems they used to have. So I, I talked to people uh, for a good friend of mine moved here 10 years ago and put in the generator and I asked him how many times in the 10 years he's used it. And he's used it maybe five or six times. Uh, so our, our power here is really good. And now yeah, this uh, used go ahead. I was just going to say this used to be a hot spot, hot spot for generator sales. It was. Yeah. For that reason. Uh, but uh, now First Electric's putting in fiber uh, optic to every uh, home in Saline County. So people like you that work from home uh, are going to have upload and download speeds available at the same at the same rate. And for telemedicine in the future and that sort of thing, it's going to be big. It's going to be a big thing. Well, uh, the biggest thing I can see, and I don't have any beef against this. If after you get sudden link service and you have it connected and it runs, the infrastructure for sudden link is surprisingly good. Oh, it is. The, custom, the customer service is atrocious, but there's nobody else in town in many places. There's a lot of places where that's your only option. Well, for, for suddenly to have a competitor to everybody, uh, you know, that has a home in Saline County. Wow. Wow. You know, a real competitor. And hopefully it'll spread into the West part of the village. And they, they've shown a willingness to do that. Energy hasn't, but first electric has shown, uh, the ability once they get this going, they, they, they are, they're a co-op, so they have to service their customers first. But if they after that's done and they've shown signs that they, possibly would look at that. <laughs> I would be very interested in that. I, I saw that article where they said they might extend into other areas. And I thought that was re absolutely remarkable, but, um, I worked with, uh, I worked with Iron Mountain Lodge and Marina in, uh, Arkadelphia in Caddo Valley, you know, Caddo Gap. Um, and they got, uh, they were able to get, um, Swepco, I think it was ran fiber through the power lines because, and for those of you that don't know, fiber doesn't interact with electricity at all. It's just pulses of light. So there's no interference or anything. It's beyond literally on the same wire or on the same bundle of wires. Uh, and they got, uh, power in at, or they got fiber in at, uh, iron mountain and literally, it went from, we need you twice a week, Dennis, to, yeah, we think we got it from here. So, I mean, I was thrilled because it was such a problematic issue to get internet to them. 
And then fiber just fixed it all. And those are speeds up to a gig. The prices I saw that, that to connect to are very reasonable. They're, right. they're competitive with sudden link or even cheaper in some instances. So it's going to be a complete and total game changer. A lot of people, and, and let me cover this while we're talking on it real quick. A lot of people, the very best they can get if they have AT&T U-verse in the East End is maybe 50 megs. If you're at the corner of Ponce and DeSoto, you might get 100 megs down. And that's it. That's, that's all you're going to get unless suddenly it comes by your door where you can go up to a thousand, which is a gig. Well, fiber is going to blow all that away. The very entry level fiber is over a hundred megs, I believe. Yeah. And first electric is a cooperative. So they, they're not, they're a nonprofit. So they're in it to service their customers. Now uh, it'll be a game changer for the, for the East end. No question about it. I read an article probably six months ago in the wall street journal where they were talking about co-ops that were doing this. And they interviewed one guy and he said, at no time in the future, do we envision a period where our customers will not need internet? Right. So they looked at it and went, look, you're going to need internet. Let's put it in. Let's, let's play the long-term, the long game for our own customers. And you're like, you know, energy is a, is a profitable entity with shareholders. And that's what they're looking at. Whereas the co-op is owned by its own members. So yeah. Right. That's a, and it's a $22 million project for them in the village. So it's, it's quite an investment. And what were they saying? 2023 is when they should be built out. They said 12 to 16 months, but it really on how many, how many crews that they have in here and uh, they've started already and they're, they're on the ground doing it with, with two crews. And at some point, if they can get the people to do it, they'll, they'll have as many as 20 crews in here. Uh, working uh, if the, if they can do it, so uh, they're going to hit some things along the way. So it won't be you got to break eggs to make an omelet. So it's mm. not going to be totally uh, invisible. But, but they're they're uh, they're boring under the roads and under under other things. They believe they, they may hit something. Mostly, mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that and the and the bypass, those two things in particular. Do you see? I mean, I can see. I can see such a shift in potentially people coming from little rock people that can work remotely even younger people coming in the village i made a remark on one of our shows uh I, I, one of my favorite places to stay is on a golf course and there's an, a, another suite on the other side of of these people's home that that uh is rented out and over the course of a week there were two couples two different couples that came and stayed in the other suite, both couples from little rock. I would put both of them guessing in their thirties and they were here to look at homes. They were in the village to look at homes. And I would suspect, I mean, with high speed internet, what have you, over the course of the 24 years, you're bound to have seen a shift in the demographics and other things. Just like, oh, yeah, and, and you're going to see a huge shift uh, now, in my opinion. The, uh, just like the tunnel opened up northwest Arkansas, it's not going to be as big as that was. But the bypass is going to open up the village, especially down uh, the west end and the Glazy Pogate. Uh, we think the Glazy Pogate is going to be a major, uh, a major player in the future. We've, we've got two builders that are looking hard. At, at that over there as, as entry-level homes or just above it. Um, 
that's the first gate you're going to come through from the village. And then with the bypass open, you're 15, 20 minutes to the other side of, of hot springs. And if you worked in, in hot springs, you can live in a gated community. Your, your kids can be safe and you can uh, be there in 15, 20 minutes. We had a, uh, a meeting with LifeNet the other day and talking about uh, the response time and how it's going to take 20 minutes off a trip. And that, that's huge um, uh, for that. There's many times that well, the two ambulances is gone and we've only got one in the village, but they can get back 20 minutes faster, 30 minutes faster. And that's going to be a game changer. But we have people looking, looking at that area over there just for that reason. Now we've heard that uh, they're way ahead of schedule as far as the bypass goes. And they think that they're going to open in the first quarter next year, at least by May. And we've heard other things that said even quicker than that. So it's imminent. Uh, the circle down, down there at five and seven is almost finished. I look for them to open it uh, before the first of the year, too. So uh, it's, it's going to be, uh, I've said this four times now, I keep using the same word, but as far as changing the game, it is going to change the game for the village. Well, no Diane and I came out Mail Route Road. We were looking at another property of building a gentleman was building. We came out Mail Route Road and got on Highway 5 and drive, you know, down Park Avenue, Highway 5. Uh, and we got to the, the uh, loop and uh, I looked over and they had the forms poured up for building that last bridge. And I knew that was going to be the, one of the last things they did because, you know, you don't want to fix the bridge and let giving people access to a road they shouldn't be on yet. Right. Right. Uh, and <clears throat> from that point, Diane said, Hey, you know, let's go to that. What is that salt grass place over by Best Buy and Sam's? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I'm sitting right here at that cul-de-sac, the, 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 the loop. And I thought if I turned left, got on this in three to four minutes, I'm going to be on the bypass. I would be at the hospital at the Best Buy, at the whatever, in literally 20 minutes from here. Yeah. But we drove another 35 to come into the rest of Hot Springs. That's right. No, yeah. it, it, it's it's going to make a big difference. And and a lot of people don't, they have to see it before they they believe yeah. it. And, and yeah. seeing it is believing. And when it happens, it's going to happen. We've had uh, a one builder uh, that has never set foot in the village has built over 2000 homes in the area had never once been in the village. He's coming over here, looking at lots to, to, to build homes. And that's the kind of thing that that's looking that that's going on. And we're selling lots now. I mean, uh, I, the, there's a couple of week that we're, that we're selling through the, through the realtor program. It's, it's just amazing to me. There are a lot of people that are looking at hot springs village. Wow. And we have more homes to sell. I think if I'm not mistaken, I think you said that uh, somebody had discovered Hot Springs Village and you said, no, they knew where we were. They just decided to come stay. Yeah, that's uh, true. Randy, any other questions you have for Mr. John Paul? Oh, I could keep going, but we've t we, we've wasted enough of his time. But I appreciate you accepting the invitation to come back and be on the show. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Uh, there's there's still a lot of history out there. I think you ought to get Linda Mayhood on here at some point and and uh, yes. get her to talk. She's she's got more knowledge in her little finger than most of us do. She's she was here from the beginning. We're trying she to saw, tee up. We're trying to tee up as many people that you know have the those original Cooper ties, 
as we can you know we've we've jokingly told them we we need to get this down we need to we need to chronicle this you know we yeah, absolutely information to go away and if you can get ernie deaton on that would even be more interesting because ernie's the engineer that was with cooper from the beginning uh that is still with him and uh, he can he he has stories that i'm sure that nobody's heard wow well i asked um oh who was it that used to work in public works um at the front desk i'm going blank she peggy peggy ford Peggy, and uh when i would go in and all the roads were named you know spanish names and she was peggy i would call her la pegra and she, I don't know if she cared for that or not, but anyway, she was always a great sport. And I asked her one time, I said, who laid out these roads? And she said, well, there was one guy named lefty and there was a the guy named curvy and, <laughs> and they lined out all the roads. And I'm, I wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. I'll tell you what, John Paul, we're going to save some history for next time. How about that? You got it. Truly. I do want to let's, let's put it a couple of months out and give you another call and ask more history questions. I'm Dennis Simpson for hot springs of the inside out. That is John Paul with the POA and you are Randy Cantrell. He does that so well. Thanks for joining us on hot springs village inside out. Thanks for listening to another episode of hot springs village inside out a podcast where hot springs village, Arkansas is the star. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can do that by visiting our website, hsvinsideout.com, and tell a friend.